Welcome to the Rare NBA Show. This is the Corner 3. It was the NBA Draft tonight, guys. Yep. I'm Kevin O'Connor. I'm here with Danny Chow and Jonathan Sharks. Yes! Today was Christmas for us, guys. Best day Finally. of the year, man. Love it. Finally. I'm running on fumes, but let's go. Yeah, it, it was a Me wild... and KFC, we'll talk 50s draft. <laughs> we don't care. <laughs> it was a wild, wild draft since before the draft even started with a lot of trades and really the most pivotal trade of the draft involved the New Orleans Pelicans, who, of course, took Zion Williamson with the first pick, but they also had number four from the Anthony Davis trade. Yep. And there's been rumors the, pa- rumors the past week, ever since they made that deal, that they could be end up flipping it, which they did. About an hour or two before the draft, they traded the fourth pick to the Atlanta Hawks for the eighth pick, the 17th pick, and the 35th pick in the draft. And that was sort of the defining trade of the draft. So we'll start there with the Atlanta Hawks or the New Orleans Pelicans. Take, take your pick. Where do we want to start here, Danny? Pelicans or Hawks? I mean, I guess we should start with the Pelicans. They I mean, are the story of the draft. We're in the right? Zion business. Let's yeah. start with the Pelicans. All right, folks. so let's start with the Pelicans then. Of course, they took Zion Williamson, number one. We've talked about him a ton. Um, and it goes without saying, you know, a multi-positional defender, a guy who's going to throw down lobs, be on highlight rails all the time. But building the roster around him was David Griffin's priority here. Um, and in trading down, they took Jackson Hayes yep. with the eighth pick and Nikhil Alexander-Walker with the 17th pick. Danny, with both of these picks, it does seem like they're building what is going to continue to be, along with the guys that got in the Anthony Davis trade, Lonzo, Brandon Ingram, a high-tempo, fast-paced, multiple-ball-hander offense. Fast. They got a shooter. They got an explosive, you know, lob target. Yeah, this this team is going to be blazing up and down the court. And it's going to be interesting because Hayes and Zion, if you're seeing them playing, you know, major minutes together, that's a freakishly athletic I mean, that has to be court. the fastest bigs in the league, right? Yeah. I mean, just like, those are two young guys who can run and jump all day. And with Alvin Gentry's system, it's going to be playing the 120s probably. Like, however fast they can go. You know, it's interesting with this team. It's like Jackson Hayes fits more of the quote-unquote traditional rim protector role, right? Yeah. Like, I think that's fair to say with him. So you're putting him next to Zion, who seems like to be more of the versatile, off-ball, weak-side helper guy. So it's like Hayes is not ready to be like a prime, you know, star rim protector as a rookie. He's going right. to take a long time. You think he'll develop. start? I, right I, now, I guess he would, but then maybe they'll sign someone. Yeah, I mean, like, he's, he's probably the guy you want to start long term. Mm-hmm. Um, but this team, like, I'm curious what they're building here. It, it, how many of these guys are going to be sticking long term with what the haul that, that they got with Josh Hart, Brandon Ingram, and Lonzo Ball? Or is this really David Griffin just getting a, as much of a collection of young, talented players as he can and then seeing what sticks? I mean, just basing off how many picks they got for the number four, it might be the latter. And I think we still have to see if they do anything with Drew Holiday. Um, but just looking at the picks that they got and looking at the the haul that they got from Anthony Davis, they have a pretty big, like, backcourt. Everyone there is, what, at least 6'4". Like, Drew Holiday is a huge the, team. Yeah, it's a six, huge four, team. 6'4", six, 6'6", six, Ingram 6'9". All of their point guards are at least 6'4". And six five. Yeah, it's a, and then each one more. Mm-hmm. The question is, like, with their main young guys, do they have enough shooting? Lonzo, Zion, Ingram, Hayes. None of them is really a knockdown shooter. Can one of those four guys stretch his game out and become that to space the floor? I think the answer is no, right now. Yeah, uh, but I think that's sort of where I land with this. It's like they are just like accumulating talent, and over time, like they're going to find out who are the guys that they they perceive as keepers, guys that are going to be you know 
foundation, part of the foundation of this team? And who are the guys that are going to be assets that you flip in trades in the future? Who are the guys that you're just going to let walk at some point, maybe when they become too expensive? Because for David Griffin, like it's pretty clear to me, at least this team has really, really high defensive potential long term. Like this team, even right now, with all the youth that they have, it feels like they could be at least like middle of the pack on the defensive end of the floor. Mm-hmm. I mean, Lonzo and, and Drew at the top for sure. Absolutely. And I, I mean, like Hayes, like he has a long way to go. Like yeah. his defensive awareness, he's a raw player. But let's talk about him specifically for a minute. He was sort of a riser. He, he was not a guy expected to be a lottery pick heading into the season. He, you know, mid first round pick, um, hype during the year. Charks. You saw him at Texas. You're a Texas guy. Hey, we got a lot of Texas bigs in this NBA yeah, now. Yeah, man. we get we get quite a few. <laughs> what about what is it about Hayes' game that made him end up being the eighth pick in the draft? I mean, he's your basic pick and roll center. He's really fast. He can jump really high. He can catch a lot of lobs. He might be able to switch eventually on the pick and roll on perimeter on defense. He's just super raw right now. I mean, he's just a raw athlete who's gonna run and jump up and down the floor. And he played football. In high school until he got hey, too he's tall. from Texas, man. He, he, gotta do he, it. He had a large growth spurt. 11 inches. Yep. That's well, crazy. And, and he played until his senior year of high school. So for him, right now, at only 19 years old, basketball has not been a full-time sport for him until two years ago when he was a senior in high school. So with him, it's like some of those football skills you can see translating to the basketball court with the lobs that he catches either on high passes, bounce passes down low. His feet, he has really good soft hands, which are going to help him finish, which is nice because in this offense, like they might la- lack shooting, like you said, but what they do have is passing across the board. Yeah. And with Nikhil Alexander-Walker, he's another guy that they added with that 17th pick who is not a primary ball handler, but he's another one of those guys that can make smart decisions off the dribble. And maybe he's the one shooter that you can feel really confident in on that roster, as well as maybe a bit of a switchable defender. So I think for David Griffin here, it, it's quite clear to me with what he's building. He's going for a team that can play with pace, a team with multiple ball handlers, but also it's like for him, like, dude, this guy's playing 2K right here. Like all the assets he has, he can do anything he wants. It really feels like a kind of Hinky-esque performance. It's like a reverse Hinky because they're not like tanking, but they're still getting the draft picks. Exactly. (laughs) And, And like everything that he's done and everything that you've talked about, like how much they've accumulated these talents and, and how they all kind of fit into certain pockets in their team. It, it reminds me of like Hinky's buzzword a few years ago, optionality. Like he has a bunch of options and he's just kind of going to lay them out and see what actually works around Zion. Yeah, I mean, you don't forget Josh Hart. I mean, that's not a guy who can shoot the ball and play off Zion and all the rest of these guys. They've got a yeah. fun team, man. They have the brightest future in basketball right now. It's them or the, or it's them or the team that they, they traded with, maybe. I think so, just because how much I like Zion, I'll say yes, yeah. because of just Zion's upside. But there's some other good, fun young teams out there. The other team that could have the bright future, brightest future here in the NBA is the Atlanta Hawks, the team that they traded with. They take, took DeAndre Hunter, a forward from Virginia with a fourth pick, and then with a the 10th pick, they took Cam Reddish, and that was the pick that they ended up getting in return for Luka Doncic last year when they acquired Trey Young. So what the Atlanta Hawks seem to be building is like they added two versatile forwards to add defensive support for Trey Young, who is going to need it. I mean, look at the size in their wings. Yeah. Herder, what, 6'8? 6'7, 6'8, Reddish, 6'8, 6'9, Hunter, 6'8, 6'9. They are like copping Golden State down to like every part of it. Like we have a small point guard, we're going to have supersized wings. That is a freaking huge perimeter group. I mean, that is enormous. I just think we've been talking about this for so long. You need big wings. And all those who guys can, can shoot threes, shoot threes and defend. We've talked about it as, you know, uh, a, a source of need for the league. 
every single year since the Warriors started being, you know, the world beaters <laughs> that they are. And yet here, you know, here the Hawks are. They nabbed two of the best in in the draft. I mean, at first I was thinking, you know, oh, this trade kind of doesn't really make sense to me because why did you need to trade up for Hunter? But look, if they got both of their guys. It's interesting because I feel like the Hawks are a little bit of a flip on the asset model. They're like, we're going to target a guy specifically and use our assets to grab one specific player, yeah. right? Because you know how you're saying Griffin is like, I'm going to bring a bunch of assets and kind of move it around. The Hawks are like, we have a perfect plan. We have guys for every single role. They're all going to fit in. These are our five guys. Let's go. I like, it's very bold. I really appreciate how bold they're being, like moving around the draft so much. I think for me, it's like, I don't love DeAndre Hunter as a prospect. I had him ranked 15th on my board just sort of because like he's more of the, just I, he's just sort of a complimentary player. But compl- complimentary players can be extremely important in the right role. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's like with Hunter, like this is the right role for him. Right. It is the perfect role where he suddenly becomes a guy where he's going to be, he's going to have to stand in the corner, stand at the wing shoot spot up threes, attack closeouts, make smart passes, defend across positions, play small ball four, play small ball five for the Hawks and smaller lineups. It's like this is the role for him with a ball-dominant point guard and Trey Young and with a a guy like Cam Reddish. Ditto to everything that was just said about Hunter for Cam Reddish. Like all the flaws in his game, it doesn't matter if the role is simplified for him. So for Cam, we said this during the live show that we did earlier, Danny, it's like for Cam, he can take that simplified role within this offense with Trey handling the load. But then over time, maybe he's able to develop his skills as a ball handler. Maybe his shooting continues to improve and he can gl- grow slowly into that Paul George-esque I, I mean, people see for him. One of, the comp, one of the comps we have for him in the guide is Gordon Hayward. And it took Gordon Hayward yeah. a really long time to become the star he was before he came to Boston. Yeah, it's just a synergy effect. This is why you draft Trey Young or Luca. Is like, if I draft a guy who's that much of a playmaker, who's that skilled, who creates that much defensive attention, he makes life so much easier for other guys, right? So Hunter and Reddish, I feel like it's funny. Like, if I knew those guys are going to Atlanta, I'd probably rank them higher. Yeah. Because like, yeah. that's where you want to go. I think I saw, I think Zach Lowe tweeted this. He was like, Hunter's people love that they go into Atlanta. I bet they do. But they're freaking pumped. It gotta be. It's perfect for them. And you mentioned this earlier, Charks. They're sort of copying that Warriors formula here. It's the Travis Schlank who came from Golden State when he got Assistant. hired by yep. Atlanta. <laughs> it's like Trey Young, you get the, the point guard who's who can shoot from anywhere, uh, who can run off screens, play off ball for you as well, but also has playmaking skills. You have Kevin Herter, the two guard who can shoot the hell out the of clay, it. Quote yeah, the clay. And then you now you have the wings that your Harrison Barnes. I mean, to me, DeAndre Hunter, Harrison Barnes are so similar. I was saying that for a while. Like those are the guys are like really similar types of players. And, and it's great for them because for him especially because now like you can put him at the four next to John Collins who has expanded his range to three but can also do some rim running for you and then they drafted Bruno Fernando in the second round uh, uh, former teammate of Kevin Herter from Maryland do you got do do you, do you foresee Fernando having any type of important role with the Hawks moving forward Charles or Charles shaking your Cut head soon big man right you know like they'll rotate to five much like Golden State does right. Golden State plays like four fives. They'll have Fernando. Maybe they keep Deadman. They have Collins. He just he's kind of their broke platoon. He's a second round pick. I don't right. think he's a huge part of the core now. I think it's nice though for them. It's like we have one again another Warriors comparison. Festus Azili as a shades of comparison for sure. Bruno Fern- sure. Fernando. 
for for Atlanta. It's like another similar guy, strong body, like, strong body, yeah. big to Plays have hard. exactly somebody to have in those matchups in the playoffs. If you're going against Joel Embiid and you need a big body, so yeah. it's like Travis Slank. This team is not going to be a playoff team for quite a while. But if you, I'm writing about the Hawks for tomorrow morning, and it's like you look at their cap projections. They can create a ton of cap space next year. Probably punt. But for 2021 or 2022, maybe by that point when Trey Young is just entering his prime right before he hits restricted free agency, when Kevin Herter is entering his prime right before restricted free agency. Danny's loving the idea of uh, Herter I, as a draw on free agency. <laughs> You're just like, this is like making him so happy right now. My grin is just like, <laughs> it's like the Grinch grin. It's like all the way over. Yeah. <laughs> we should put that in slow motion Tw- right there. 2021. Who's the biggest draw there? Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, so shades of the Warriors. So that's, the that's their KD. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah. I think to me for Atlanta, the guy now is John Collins. Like, how good can he be? Can he be the Draymond? Can he be a great playmaker, great defensive player? That's like now the piece that determines our ceiling is Collins. So, I mean, we went through Atlanta and New Orleans and I should also mention Dan Devine, I believe, is writing about the Pelicans for tomorrow. Um, so yeah. look out for that on the ringer. Charks, one of the teams that you and I discussed before coming on the pod tonight was you really like the blueprint of the team that was drafting with the second pick, the Memphis mm-hmm. Grizzlies. They, of course, took Ja Morant, second point guard on Murray State. And then at the 21st pick, one of the guys that we all mutually agree is perhaps <laughs> we, steal the draft. You should have seen me yeah. reaction. We, when we, were, we heard that uh, the Grizzlies were trading for Rand Clark, we... We lost it. We yeah. were shouting. That to was the like rooftops. the moment of the draft for me. <laughs> I, I, I was grabbing a piece of pizza and I heard screaming. I was like, I was like "Is everything okay? What happened? what happened? What happened?" Man, like if you talk about guys that fit well together, Clark and Jaron Jackson. That's like a hand in a glove, man. Jaron Jackson, a three-point shooting stretch five. Brandon Clark, slasher, great perimeter defender. That's like the front court of the future to me. When that, and with John Morant, those two guys catching lobs from John Morant and running the floor with John Morant, that is going to be so much fun. My guy Taylor Jenkins has got a great situation. Let's go Grizz. <laughs> Taylor Jenkins, Tyler Parker do- doppelganger. Famous from Take Hunter, of course. Amongst, among Amongst other ringer yeah, properties, so, yeah. you know? Uh, Rob, Rob Palenka, um, impersonator. <laughs> Quite a good one, too. But yeah, Memphis, man, they're going to be really fun. And then they have yeah. DeLon Wright, too, another hipster favorite. Like, this is Bruno Caboclo. Well, if, they, if, they, if they bring DeLon Wright right back. They got to go Jod, DeLon, Bruno, Clark, Jackson. That would just be perfect. This oh, could yeah. be quite a quick rebuild. Oh, yeah. For Memphis. And it, it's, it's interesting because this is a team that isn't quite recognizable from, from what they've mm-hmm. been for the past decade and a half. Grit and grind is gone. Grit and grind is they've gone. Up. They've modernized for sure. It's, it's really incredible. And, and to think that they've built around some of the hardest, like, like the hardest types of players to find in the NBA. Like Jaron Jackson Jr. is just not the type of player you can find every day. Yeah. A, 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 a really good three-point shooter, a really good rim protector. Once you have that as like a foundation, it's so much easier to build sure. everything sure. else. Especially with Ja Morantz, yeah. um, with the second pick. Ja, to me, is like, you know, a really good prospect, not a great prospect. I'm not quite as high on him as a lot of others are there, but 
for him, like there's no doubt about it that he has the ability to have a super long productive career because of his playmaking ability. So when you talk about Jaron Jackson as the rim protector, that's going to help alleviate one of Morant's weaknesses, which is perimeter defense. It's really both because Jaron stretches the floor, so Jock can attack exactly. the rim. Yeah. That's like those three guys just fit. Th- those guys will be quite a fascinating pick and roll duo because Morant's downhill attacking style, and then Jackson can either roll. And, and finish lobs or finish with see, finesse I kinda or wanna, he can pop. I want to see Clark rolling Jackson spacing. That would be really fun and, too. And th- that's, the, that's the fascinating part mm-hmm. though because it's like you can have Clark roll Jackson spacing, Morant kick out pass, then Jackson can either shoot the ball, he can attack off the dribble because he's so mobile, so skilled. So it's like these guys all fit. With Morant, it, it's going to be like the playmaking, there's no question. Yeah. Like he's going to yeah. be a good playmaker. It's about the development of the jump shot off the dribble. We've seen like really nice flashes from him, but we've also seen, you know, some inconsistencies from the perimeter. So for Morant, it's like if he can become a guy that can consistently knock down perimeter jumpers, just imagine how great this core could soon be with those three. I'm calling it Hipster Olympics, Grizzlies versus Hawks. Whenever that game is, like that's the League <laughs> Pass Olympics game right there. <laughs> uh, let's let's um, move on to some other picks that happened in the lottery. Uh, actually, let's just go through the whole lottery here. Um, R.J. Barrett, third pick to the Knicks. We all sort of have different stances Diff- on yeah. him as a player. Um, He's char- the Jason Tatum of, of yeah, 2019. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm the highest on him. I think, Danny, you're second highest, and then Sharks, you're lowest on R.J. Barrett. So let's, let's kind of go around with either... What, what's your initial thoughts with this selection for the Knicks, the fit for R.J. Barrett? Let's start with you, Sharks. I think R.J. wound up in a pretty good spot for him because he gets to be the man here. Like, R.J. wants to be the man. It's his team from the jump. I think there's a lot of guys in the Knicks who aren't going to like playing with him, but they don't matter. RJ gets to dominate the ball. He'll put up stats right away. Now it's just a matter of can the Knicks find enough shooting around him because he needs space to attack the rim. Like Kevin Durant. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's what yeah. you sub KD on. That's what RJ. <laughs> facing, yeah. RJ's like Ricky Davis. Like, KD, come here, play off me. It'll be fine. No big deal. <laughs> yeah, and it's just funny because we, we've been talking about all of these uh, – these picks that the the Knicks have been making and the guys that they already have on the team, they all kind of need the ball in their hands to be successful. They they drafted, you know, Iggy Brasdakis, who's not going to be, you know, a major part of the team, mm-hmm. but still a guy on the Michigan team that was like, you know, he's dribbling the ball in his hands. Yeah, he I mean, has the ball in his hands. Trier, Kevin Knox, yeah. all those guys all want to have the ball Dennis, in his hands. Dennis Smith, all of these guys. Um, I'm curious, like you mentioned, like RJ's a guy who needs the ball in his hands. Is he? Like what... what for like people who are just hearing about RJ for the first time, like there might be some people who skipped prior draft conversations. So how it's dare like, they? What is, what is it about his game charts that makes you believe that he is somebody who needs the ball in his hands um, to thrive? Because he's an inconsistent outside shooter for one. So he's at his best when he can attack the rim. He's not really a, a floor a spot up threat yet at this stage of his career. And he's just a guy who really hunts for shots. Like RJ is not really a guy who wants to like take eight shots a game. Because he could have played with Zion and played off Zion, but he's like, I'm RJ, I'm the man. He wants to get to run, he wants to score. He's just been a scorer his whole life. He's not going to change now in the NBA, I don't think. Yeah, I think his his most translatable ability is just his ability to to move up and down the floor in a downhill, you know, kind of bully ball type um, attack. And so... Yeah, I, I, feel like, I feel like these are good things. These are good things. These are good things. But... But what? <sighs> I just would rather give the ball to other guys. I feel like why I think they're better passers and better shooters, better decision makers. Like guy like Jod and me is a better decision maker than RJ. I just don't know. He wasn't on the board though. Yeah, we're talking in general now. I mean, I think it's a fine pick for where they were. I just don't think it'll be a great team. That's all. 
So you would, so in other words, I would trade if, it down. If you're the next, you would trade down. Which, I, which right. for what it's worth, like immediately after the lottery, that was like one of my thoughts with this with, with this draft. Which, by the way, we should talk trade about down. trading down. Yeah, that's the, becoming the more popular. Down. The trade down that's been happening three years in a row now. And with the Knicks, I was thinking, you know, and with the Grizzlies for that matter, I was like, well, maybe you can try to trade down here and get more value, more draft capital that you can use either in the future or just get two guys in this particular draft. And with RJ, I wouldn't have disagreed with it, but I, I do think... I I I I'd really do, we've been through this before, but I really think like he's a better playmaker than he's getting credit for. Mm-hmm. I think with RJ, he showed progress over the course did. of the season. He did do that, and I think like and for Team Canada, he showed great yeah. great potential on that roster as well. So it's like with RJ Barrett, I look at him like just turned nineteen years old is somebody who like his whole life has been a scorer, like you said, Sharks, and for him like. For everything I've heard about him as a person, like as, as like a winning mentality, I just see him growing into that role where it's like he's going to eventually understand how to balance the playmaking and the scoring. And maybe the scoring doesn't get to the point that like you hope for. Maybe his shot is always average. Maybe his playmaking is always just like good. Like maybe that's where it maxes out. But to me, I, I still think like that's a really good player with his defensive versatility that can manifest as he develops over time with the playmaking and size at six seven, and then with the scoring ability downhill and transition pick and roll. Maybe he'll be like a slightly better version of Demar Derozan. And to me, like great, like that's totally cool, especially in this year's draft class where there's just yeah, not a, a lot, of lot of guys. Yeah, sure. there's not a lot of guys that have that upside to be an All NBA type of guy. I will and say there's that's a sort of where I'm at with RJ. We'll get down to it. There's a few guys I like more than them. We'll get into the next couple of yep. picks. Yep. And this is to your point about potentially trading down. We'll skip four. We already discussed that. Um, Darius Garland, a point guard from Vanderbilt, was selected by the Caval- uh, Cavaliers of the fifth pick. How is this fit next to Colin Sexton? Is it going to be hilarious? Is this going to work? No, not really. I think, I think one of the guys is going to very quickly uh, assert his dominance. And I don't think it's Colin Sexton. Um, I think this was a pick where Look, the Cavs were definitely looking for a trade partner, and they just haven't found one yet. Uh, and they went with BPA. Colin Sexton will not go out quietly, though. That's oh, the no. thing. He's, no, he's no, not no. going to give up easy. Mm. No no way. No. Uh, how about you, Charks? I mean, pick. to me, yeah. I, I just wonder, like, was this the best use of multiple picks? Because I feel like Sexton and Garland, they can, they can both theoretically play on or off the ball, but I really don't like taking two guys like that I feel like what Danny was saying is going to happen. One of those guys is probably going to have to go eventually. So you guys have no confidence in this backcourt to coexist. It can't be a like a it could, a but it's, it's a lot. It, type of, type it's of a lot to ask because like with Dame and CJ, Dame was already established, right? So CJ came in, Dame's the man. I don't think Sexton's established, and I don't think Garland thinks he's better than him. Why does that matter? Because one of them's going to want the ball more than the other, right? Like it's like who has more shots, who gets more passes, who gets more points. This is something matters in the NBA locker room, especially for young players. I think I think like that. I think that can be true in some cases, but in other cases, it cannot be true because well, yeah, because like anything Gar- is possible. Yeah, I mean, because like Garland is some, a guy who can shoot off screens, yeah. who can play off ball. So it's like if he's not going to want to do that, like too bad, dude. I mean, like that's a that's a problem for the Cavaliers. But to me, like that's something that he can do, and he can do at a high level. So I'd be I would be kind of a little surprised if he wouldn't be happy to, playing that role. To be honest with you. Like, like I, I like it's something he's really good at is playing off ball and shooting. But off why screens. not get beyond the ball too and get more stats? Right. Not everybody's a selfish player. I 
I don't know. He's but you want to get your money. It's important for young players. You know, he he specifically talked about in the draft. He you know he signed with the best agent because he he knows that if he wants to be the best, he needs to associate himself with the best. He kind of has that alpha mentality. I don't see him you know being okay for the long term in terms of being you know a kind of off ball. And I think it's also too like if Garland's clearly better than Sexton, it's going to be hard to sell him on letting Sexton run the offense, especially because Sexton doesn't pass all that much. It's just going to be hard. And then you have like Kevin Porter at 30, which doesn't really matter, I guess, but (laughs) that's another guy who wants the ball. Like they're going to have a really uh, interesting chemistry mix in Cleveland. That team is fascinating. Why are they fascinating, Danny? Just the fights for the ball. <laughs> yeah, like they have all of those guys. Dylan Windler can definitely play off ball, but like he'll never get the ball. That's yeah. <laughs> good luck. I just I don't really understand how that. Yeah, for yeah I, I don't understand how it all kind of comes together, and it, it may not. These guys are yeah. very young; they might not play at all. But I think it's kind of going to be like survival of the fittest in that in that training camp. Like, who's the best? I love to watch like Porter, Sexton, and Garland one on one. They're going to go to their throats. To, to me, like everything you're saying is almost identical to what we just said about New Orleans, where, where they're just accumulating talent and the guys yeah, who these, figure it out. But are the these guys, guys are six one and six yeah, two. Though. They're accumulating talent I mean, and plays defense who has defensive it, ability. But if I call if it doesn't work with Colin Sexton, like then peace out. Yeah, I mean you for know, sure. In a couple yeah. years, it's like figuring out who are the keepers and who aren't. It's about getting the best talent. Like I'm almost like. Would the fit make like it matters for development? But I don't think it's a bad thing for Garland to play off ball. I don't think it's a yeah. bad thing for Sexton. Well, to see, play I off think ball. that's why I just love what Atlanta's doing because I feel like they're maximizing every pick by drafting guys who complement each other. And I think that has like synergy off the court too because I think I think it builds chemistry with the young guys because we all have our own lanes. You we know feel, your role, right? You know your lane. It's yeah. less like I don't know. That's maybe that's just me being more of a kumbaya kind of guy. But I kind of like them all having their own little things to do instead of being like Iter's throats. It's not like. It's not like Cam Reddish doesn't want the ball, though. It's not like DeAndre Hunter doesn't want the ball. It's I mean, like, but they're I, playing I, with Trey Young, great passer. I mean, it's, it's like, like I, t- I talked to to Cam Reddish during the season, and I said, like, just said to him, I was like, hey, man, like, how has that adjustment been playing next to R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson, like, like being the third wheel? And he's like, obviously, it's, it's it's tough. Obviously, I want the ball more, It's and that's something I've had to adjust to. And it's the type of thing where, like, every guy wants the ball more. But that's, that's every guy the, wants touches. That's the knock on Garland and Sexton in comparison to Trey Young. Trey Young is like, he's a good enough passer. He can keep everybody happy, theoretically. Whereas Garland and Sexton, the big concern is, will guys want to play with them if they're not passing the ball? Charks, that's one of the reasons why, with these next two picks that happened in the draft with Minnesota and Chicago, why you like both these guys selected because of their unselfishness on the court. Yeah, the fit. I love the fit with Culver and Towns in Minnesota. And with Kobe White and with Laurie Market at Wendell Carter in Chicago. I think all those guys are going to play. So we'll start from the top. I think with Minnesota, you have Carl Towns who can stretch the floor, who needs the ball in his hands. So you have Culver who's a slasher and who moves the ball, who's pretty unselfish. So Culver knows, okay, I go to Minnesota, Towns is the guy. I'm getting him the ball. I'm cutting off him. I'm playing off him. Right. And then he can cut off Towns and he can play good defense. And I think that's what you need in Minnesota are guards who give Towns the ball. I think that's going to work really well for them. Yeah, and... I mean, Culver has shown a lot of kind of big abilities as well. Like, he's a great rebounder for his size. He's a great, you know, multi-positional defender. You can kind of create an interesting inverted ecosystem where, like, Carl Anthony Towns is kind of creating from the outside. And a lot is kind of, you know, shuffling in and out, uh, you know, along the baselines and all of that. And Towns will be so happy to play with a high IQ player after playing with Wiggins for so long. It's like, (laughs) this guy can cut off me. He's really smart. He works hard. This is fantastic. Mm -hmm. He's going to love this pick. Yeah. And then with Kobe White, he's a guy that I was not particularly high on. I mean, I like him. I had him ranked 10th on my board, but don't love him. Uh, however, 
like there's no doubt in this Bulls offense with the amount of guys that they have who can handle the ball, Lowry Markinen, guys who can play make a little bit at the big man position, Markinen and Wendell Carter. Now, you know, you have Kobe White, who is somebody who is not a primary, but is somebody who can still move the ball within the flow of the offense and shoot the ball off the catch. And with him, it's going to be about the development of him off the dribble. Like he shows flashes with shot creation. He's probably the fastest guy in the draft. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Um, For so sure. It's like, what level does he reach as a shooter off the dribble? And I just love it too, because you have Otto Porter there and you have Wendell Carter. Those guys can handle a lot of playmaking. They can let Kobe play free. Like Kobe doesn't have to be like given too much responsibility. Just run the ball, run the floor, get your shots, spot up, be an aggressive, high active player. I think he's a much better fit than Chris Dunn with this team. And I love this lineup of Kobe White, Zach Levine, Otto Porter, Laurie, Wendell Carter. Five three-point shooters. With great size on the positions. Like, that's going to be a fun team. You know, Gar packs from the Bulls always get made fun of. I feel like they're doing a good um, job, they're honestly. Doing, they're doing mm-hmm. a good job, right? man. Like, like, there's our take for the day. They're, Go adding, they're, they're <laughs> adding some real talent, dude. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, we talked earlier about Atlanta's cap space situation. You can say the same exact thing about the Bulls. Where like Otto Porter, he has a player option for 2021, but he becomes unrestricted for sure in 21-22. And you look at their cap situation that year, it's like they're going to have the young guys that they just drafted this year, including Daniel Gafford, a center from Ooh, Arkansas, yeah, like who was selected in the second round. But on their on their books, they have Zach Levine, Lowry Markkinen, Wendell Carter, Chandler Hutchinson, and again, the guys that drafted this year. They could easily head into a loaded, loaded free agent class yep. with max cap space or at least immense flexibility to make trades, to make you know other signings. So for the Bulls, it's like they have this roster that can just play so many different styles, so many mix and match lineups. Like if you're a free agent a couple of years from now, you're looking at that like, yo, I can be the final piece to a team in one of the biggest markets in basketball, a team on the rise. So for Chicago times are good right now like there's there's good reason to be feel good if you're a bulls fan and Absolutely. this is why i love the porter trade for them in the, at the deadline because like Porter is a guy who gives structure to an offense right. mm-hmm. and he makes a young guard like kobe white a lot better because like when white's out of control poor like all right slow down i'll get it i'll run a play i'll move the ball create a shot for somebody else no problem there are a couple of what are you doing moments in yeah. this year's draft class uh in this, in this year's draft lottery danny that was pretty good uh, i like that ksc yeah, yeah one of them danny Happened in the ninth pick with the Washington Wizards. Rui Hachimura, a guy that I I think I had down in my down in like the twenty range in my on my big board. Went ninth. Um, uh, probably the most notable Gonzaga star this year. Uh, their leading scorer, definitely. Um, but I don't know, man. They, he he has some some basketball IQ uh, issues that I can't really get over especially on defense where he just kind of gets lost a lot. But obviously, very physically gifted uh, guy who kind of came into the game young or came into the game late. I just don't know at nine. Charles, you did grades today, on which people can find on TheRinger.com, and you gave the Rui Hachimura pick a D. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I just not a big fan of Rui's game for kind of the same reasons Danny said. And I look at it like if I'm taking a project forward, I'd much rather have Dumbaya, who's what like three years younger than Rui. Yeah, and like they're not that far apart in terms of skill and basketball IQ, and he's so much younger, and he's even bigger than Rui. Like to me, they were better. If you're Rui's a project, if you're taking a product, there are better products available. Like to me, that's a tough pick. I feel bad for Rui because it's going to be a tough situation in Washington. That's a really there's no shooting around him. Beal's probably gone. Wall, who knows, happens to him. It's kind of a mess over well, there. Well, they're, they're going to keep Beal for now. You they think so? they, they want to sign him. They want to 
oh, extended long term. Will he want to? That's the question. Yeah. Um, but but in regards to Rui, it's like I don't love him as a prospect at all for the same reasons that you outlined, Danny. The basketball IQ is concerning. Slow decision maker on offense, like. Like, he has some moments where, like, what are you doing? Just, right. like, why are you hogging the ball? And I'm not sure. Like, he's he's a high-character kid, though. He's a hard worker. Yeah. He's gotten better every single season at Gonzaga. So, for the Wizards, it seems to me that, like that they're betting on the person. So, like, he might be 21 years old, which is old, you know, by, you know, common standards, you know, for, 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 a, prospect. That, for a prospect. However, like, he's 21 as somebody who didn't start playing basketball full-time until a later age. So, he, like, if you're if you're talking, like, developmental years, maybe he's only really, like, 18, 19. And his his physical gifts, he's, a, he's an athletic player who has a very strong build right away. And it's fluid, too. Yeah. There's not a lot of guys that can move like him with his size. Yeah, and that, that kind of gives you a little bit more leeway in terms of your development. But even with his athleticism, he feels more like a straight-line driver than a guy who has, like, mm-hmm. enough wiggle to be a— you know, dynamic creator up for himself. I mean, I think which we'll see in this draft, like Rui, it's all about can he shoot threes, right? If, mm-hmm. he, if he can shoot threes, he'll stick in the league. If he can't, it might be tough for him. I, I think Rui is more of a, a whoa pick for me than a what are you doing? The what are you doing moment for me happened at the 11th pick with the Phoenix Suns and they drafted Cam Johnson, a senior out of North Carolina, one of the best shooters in the draft, which is a great thing. Let's just say that right off the bat. Shooting matters. <laughs> However, like he's somebody who's had hip issues in the past, had surgery for a torn labrum. He's somebody who was an average defender at the college level. He is somebody who does not do a lot off the dribble for you. He is not a playmaker, not a guy who's going to create offense for himself. And even with his shooting, like to me, he's more of a standstill guy than somebody who's flying around screens. So like we have a comparison for him in the draft guide, Jonas Sharubko. He To me, he's like a knockdown shooting version of Jonas Drebko, which is like a quality NBA player who's going to be in the league for a while. But with the 11th pick, dude, I had a hard <laughs> time with that, defi- that that decision for the Bright Future Suns. I think like what stood out to me with that pick, I feel like he's a lesser version of Mikhail Bridges. Who they took at what, 10 last year? And they're just like so burned by guys like Josh Jackson, Dragan Bender. They went the exact opposite way. They're like, we're getting an older guy, high character, great shooter. And like know exactly we know. what he does. And the one thing about what the Suns are doing, so the rumor is they're going to go after D'Angelo Russell. Realistically, if you're playing with D'Angelo Russell and Devin Booker, <laughs> you ain't going to get the ball very much. So you might as well be able to shoot it because you're not going to be dribbling too often. Which could be part of the plan here. I think so. I think it has to be. Knowing right? that the offense is going to run through that backcourt with Russell and Booker, and you're getting a guy who, in his time at North Carolina, proved to be an unselfish player who accepted the role that was given to him. Even as an upperclassman, mm-hmm. he was an off-ball player. And Low, th- no mistake pr- yes. player. And he thrived within that role. So it, it's like you're you're essentially drafting the guy for the role, and maybe it's like we look back at this and you're like, yeah, there were some better players selected after him, but Cam Johnson's a good role and player, and that's who they got. I got a stat for you, KSC. I like Cam Johnson. So you gave com- it an A, right? I gave it a B. A B, okay. So coming off screens in college this year, he was in the so coming around off the screen catching and shooting, he was in the 97th percentile. Like he's a pretty versatile shooter. He's not a versatile offensive player, but he can shoot off movement. I think, I think he'll stick. I don't think they'll play much defense in Phoenix, but they'll score a lot of points. So they got two guys in this draft who are basically, you know, a shorter and taller version of, of elite, each other. Elite yeah, shooters. Elite shooters. Hi, Jerome and Cam Johnson. Uh, yeah, I, I should I should restate that. It's like he like statistically, it's great, but I, I think I mean like you the don't dy- like I mean like the dynamic movements. Yeah, okay. like, I mean like coming hard off a, a pin down screen, having to fully 
contort your body midair. It's like he does like some basic actions and he shows good footwork, but like he still needs to develop that like JJ Reddick S stuff to really like in my mind yeah. be a truly elite, elite well, shooter. He is six he's like, foot eight, yeah, so he's like six hard. nine, so yeah. he's probably not yeah. bending well, like well, that, you know, you know. <laughs> you know, there's you know, taller guys can do okay, some crazy so stuff. I'm, I'm curious, KOC, would you rather have him or Dylan Windler if you're picking guys? Uh, we're talking like at the eleventh pick. I guess in general, I mean, maybe. I mean, I had Windler ranked like 26th and Cam, I think, 27. So, so like, yeah, like for right you, it's, it's the value, right? That's for <laughs> Yeah, you. it's the yeah. value, exactly. It's like, I don't have an issue with the pick. Yeah, I had Dylan Windler 26th and Johnson I had 29 for what I, I think for Johnson, value. Yeah. I feel like he just barely crosses that threshold of average defense. With Windler, I don't see him hanging defensively. Mm-hmm. Johnson would be a great defender, but I think he can do just enough to stay on the floor. And that's really his upside. Speaking about defense, with the 12th pick, the Hornets took P.J. Washington. A guy who projects as a mobile defender at the big man position. Yeah. I think we all like screens. that pick, right? We all like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, with PJ Washington to the Hornets, do they finally have a good big man? I mean, it's interesting because last year they took Miles Bridges, who kind of feels like a PJ Washington, a guy who who kind of fell through the cracks a little bit in terms of a hype. College sophomore, right? Yeah. High, you know, um, big program. But like it was a productive guy and, and looks to be, you know, a productive NBA player. So I think it's it's a very kind of safe Charlotte-esque pick. You know what's sad? Like, I would love to see PJ at the five, Miles at the four. I feel like in Charlotte, in Charlotte it'll be him at the three, Miles at the two. And they'll play like <laughs> Kaminsky and Zeller and Biombo or whoever else have that roster anymore. I don't even know. But I like those two guys. And the ghosts of Kemba. I think that's the thing with PJ and Miles. They both need a really good point guard. So if Kemba stays, it'll be a great pick. If Kemba leaves, they could be in trouble because they don't really have a good pass or give them open shots. <laughs> they could be in trouble with Kemba with yeah, that salary. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. I mean, I mean for like PJ's career, kind of. If Kemba oh, yeah. leaves, it'll be harder for him. Obvious. I guess that's obvious. No doubt about it. I think with PJ, nice part of it is like he, he can, you know, he's not a guy who creates for himself, but he can at least pass. He yeah, he's a, he's a smart player. He can play within the offense. And let's move on to the rest of the draft. And so what we're going to do the rest of the way is we're going to each pick a steal from each range. We're going to go from the teens, the 20s, and then the second round. We're each going to do a steal. Um, and we'll go in order with the guys that we selected. So I'll kick this off with Chuma Okiki, a sophomore yeah. from Auburn, who was selected by the Orlando Magic with the 16th pick. Okiki is somebody who, in college, tore his ACL to finish the season during the tournament. Um, unfortunate for him, obviously, he'll miss part of the NBA season as a rookie. But like P.J. Washington, another guy who can switch, defend multiple positions at 6'8", with a 7-foot wingspan, a good passer, Great a guy who can space the size. floor from three, at least in a, at an above-average level. So for Orlando, they're adding another guy to their lump of long, switchable defenders who can you know switch screens, who can space the floor, make smart plays on offense. He's sort of like a guy that you really loved in the draft, Jonathan Isaac. Yeah, a guy who can do a, bu- a bunch of different things for you. The nice thing is Okiki's not a theoretical shooter; like he actually is a really good shooter. And he, yeah, he took a solid amount of attempts per game uh, at Auburn. I yeah, believe, right? it feels like a 142 pick. attempts this past season and shot 39%. Orlando, like they got to playoffs this year. They're feeling better about themselves. Like we're going to think long-term, not pick for need and draft the guy we like. It's just, it's a nice, it's a nice change of pace for Orlando. Right. For what it's worth, over two seasons at Auburn, um, shot 39% on 229 attempts. However, did shoot only 70.3% from the free throw line. Still pretty good. Worth. Moving on. So next deal. Oh, Ciao. yeah, I like the uh, the pick that came right after Chuma. Uh, I like the Pelicans pick of Nikhil Alexander-Walker. I think he 
could have definitely been a lottery pick. Um, checks out a lot of the boxes that I typically look for in a an NBA prospect. Big size for his position. Can shoot the three. Doesn't really have any single glaring weakness. Um, I like high floor guys. And I think this guy is going to stick around in the league, whether it's with the Pelicans or some other team. Because I think he fits the mold of what you want out of a one or two in the NBA at, at this point. Who do you have, Charks? I got uh, Goga Batatse, the big man that went to Indiana, which is interesting because they already have two big men in Miles Turner and DeMontis Sabonis. I love Batatse's game. He's kind of got a nice combination of inside-outside, very traditional big man with great, great offensive skill set. Though I do think this does seem like the end of the road for for either Turner or Sabonis. I'll be fascinated to see what those kind of guys, what their trademark it is as big centers in the modern NBA. I want to see all three of them on the floor at the same time. <laughs> Why not? Dino ball. I yeah. want to see it. Do it. Come on, they, Nate they, they got a good team. They can't Nate, be Nate McMillan, like uh, one, our, our favorite listener on the Ringer NBA show. Um, hopefully he and plays And Goga's a great fit for McMillan's yeah. offense. Of course, like, so I don't know if Nate McMillan listens to the show. But KOC, I, they I listen to the show. Yeah, yeah. Okay, if you're if, on it, they're listening. <laughs> if it. he did, they'd shoot more threes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'd have uh, Sabonis and Turner pick and pop in the three. So he, um, <laughs> if he listened uh, to us. Uh, with Goga, Charks, you and I have talked about this on videos and former podcasts, but I think it's worth hitting on again. Um, with Batazzi, he's somebody who he fits the qualifiers for what's important in a big man in today's NBA. You wrote about this before in regards to Nikola Jokic, where it's like so many centers get played off the floor in today's league, even when you're a great defensive center in this perimeter-based league, that you need to bring something on the offensive end in order to survive. Goga is at least an average defender, maybe better. But with offense, that's really going to be his calling card with his passing and shooting ability. It feels a lot like the pick last year with Aaron Holiday. They said, we already have two good point guards. We're going to trust our board, draft the guy we really like, and think long-term. I think that's the value of drafting in the teens for Indiana. Is like You don't have to like plug a need for your roster right away. It's, it's kind of like an NFL pick. It's the best player available, taking the best guy and whatever. Fit. Let's move on to the 20s. Danny, who do you got? Uh, well... Since we're not bringing up Brandon Clark. Which we yeah. could. We could. Sure. We could. We could. Yeah. Yeah. We, we talked about him a, a little bit earlier. A little bit. And, and a little bit a lot. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> I think it's Grant Williams for the uh, the Celtics. A uh, guy who is six seven and a half, two thirty, Just not a great athlete, but just so, so smart. So team-oriented. One of the better defenders in the draft. Uh, has kind of extended his range range from three. You can kind of see him playing that PJ Tucker, Boris Diaw type of role. A, a guy who could help any team. And when you ha- have the Celtics, who you know have lost or are going to lose <laughs> Al Horford, you kind of want to plug in smart players who can do a little bit of everything. Obviously, he isn't as big as Horford, so he doesn't really have that kind of versatility. But Man, I can't see Grant Williams not doing well in the NBA. I like his fit with Brad Stevens' offense because he wants like pretty smart bigs who can yeah. do multiple things. With Boston, the next couple of weeks are going to be fascinating mm-hmm. to see what happens there with Kyrie and Horford potentially leaving. They traded Aaron Baines today into cap space. If they renounce their other free agents, they could create max cap space. And it's like they're probably not signing anybody. But like they have the ability to like to at least chase a guy and try to get a meeting with somebody. And it's like either that or like they're either going to be like pushing to sign somebody or this team is like suddenly back into retooling mode where they have just a bunch of young guys in their roster and they're probably going to still make the playoffs. Of course, you know, they still have enough veterans to support. 
the quality young players, but it's like this team suddenly goes from they're going to get Anthony Davis to, oh, <laughs> what are they going to do with their draft picks yeah. to start building for the future? I think worth mentioning the guy that took it 14, Romeo Langford. Like, I didn't love his game, but the more I thought about it, the whole uh, injury was he, he broke his shooting thumb right early in his freshman season and it kind of tanked his season. And maybe if he's healthy, Maybe if he shuts himself down in, in November, he's higher ranked. Like, that's an interesting pick. I don't know what to make of it, but I feel like I can see why it made the pick. I can see why it makes sense to, do, to gamble on him. Yeah, they took sort of two opposite players with yeah. Grant Williams and mm-hmm. Romeo Langford. Um, next up for me, I got Dylan Windler from yeah. Belmont. We alluded to him earlier. Knockdown shooter, a guy who can make plays off the dribble for you, not just someone who's a spot-up player. He can make plays off the dribble, too. Hit a step back in the oh, NCAA yeah. tournament. That oh, looked great. He, he can hit some filthy shots off the dribble. Um you know, defense will be the question. He at least plays hard, tries hard in the defensive end of the floor, can rebound and pass as well. Like, he just checks a lot of boxes. A good athlete as well. Just a smart player, a good athlete, somebody who I think can fill a role for the Cavaliers, especially next to other primary ball handlers for them. Um, Charks, I know one of your favorite sleepers in the draft, ended up rising all the way to the first round. I was worried my guy Jordan Poole from Michigan wouldn't get drafted, but he wasn't even <laughs> in the mock drafts for a while in yeah. the top 60 mock drafts. He went 28 to Golden State. I love this pick. I think Jordan Poole, to me, of all the shooters who got drafted in the first round, like guys like Jerome, Cam Johnson, Windler, I think Poole's the most well-rounded offensively of all of them. He can handle the ball pretty well. He was stuck in a small role in Michigan, but I saw him make some pretty good passes off the dribble. To me, he's a three-dimensional offensive player. He'll go to Golden State. He can play off Steph and Draymond. I bet he plays right away. I bet he's pretty good. I love this pick. Yeah, he's he's. In a, I don't I don't love him as a player. Like I I want to see that ball handling, playmaking skill develop a bit yeah. more. But like it's there, it's there long term. And maybe Golden State, where you have to play that way in order to get on the court, maybe that can manifest for him. And that's I mean, without Clay, there there's minutes to be had at the two guard. No that's for sure. It. A lot of developmental minutes for him. Uh, let's move on to the second round. We'll each hit one guy here that we would qualify as steal of the second round. Charks. You're going to lead with a guy who is the first pick in the second round. Oh, I love this. I love Nick Claxton. I can't believe he fell this far. This was a fantastic pick by the Nets. My only concern I was telling Danny, it sounds ridiculous, but like I like Jared Allen too, and I worry they took a better player than Jared Allen. <laughs> like Nick Claxton to take his job eventually. And but, Claxton, for what it's worth, is somebody who handled the offense this yeah. past season. We're, we're, talking about, Georgia. we're talking about bigs who are Solid really like skilled man. players. Like this is a big man who can handle and like truly great unique, shooter. Unique skills, he's unique got a, situation. He's got a legitimate perimeter offensive game at 6'11", which is just so rare. I don't know how he got left went to the second round, honestly. I'm kind of surprised he fell this far. He's a, he's a guy who could end up being just like a rotational big man, but there's a, a path for him to yeah. becoming like one of the better big men in the league who ends up being a steal. And Danny, you also have a guy who is very raw right now. Super raw. But is somebody who you can see projectable skills to becoming a good long-term Absolutely. pro. Absolutely. Taylor Horton Tucker to the Lakers with the 46th pick, I believe. A clutch clients. Clutch oh, client. It pays to go with clutch people. There it is, Dude, man. Doing favors, baby. 6'4", <laughs> 7'1", wingspan. Just a, a, a freak, you know, uh, size, you know, just a, a freak wingspan for a guy his size. Um, he has the body type of a PJ Tucker of an Eric Gordon, kind of like this bowling ball type player. Um, his skills are kind of a hodgepodge. He kind of has a little bit of everything, showed no consistency at uh, Iowa State, but he is one of the two youngest players in this draft. I love the gamble that they took on him because I think he can. his career can develop in many different ways, especially playing with 
you know, two of the best players I mean, in the he's NBA. He's playing with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Yeah. Like, that's not a bad spot to be yeah. in. Yeah, it, it's, it's great for him. Can develop a little bit slowly playing in the G League. Occasional spot minutes. And they'll, the they'll eventually need him to play because they are so capped out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, they do. Um, for me, I have a guy who is a bit more ahead in his development. Uh, Terrence Mann, a senior mm. forward slash wing from Florida State. Also, a, a grew up in Massachusetts. Um, we've been facing... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's We go way back. I friended him on Facebook when, <laughs> like, like before he, when he was a high school recruit. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Look at the eye for talent, man. I mean, I thought he might be a one and done, potentially. He was not. I don't want it done. Um, <laughs> he spent four years at Florida State, but in his time there, he proved to be a guy who, like, he can be a glue guy for your for your roster. He's somebody who can defend multiple positions. He's a good passer. Even as a senior, he began to handle the ball a lot more, bringing the ball up and initiating offense. And that won't be his role in the NBA, but he at least showed the ability to handle the ball and it's make important. smart decisions. So I think for him, when you he fits a lot of the criteria and what you need for guys that can survive deep into the playoffs. You can't just shoot. You can't mm-hmm. just handle. You can't just defend. He's somebody who can do all of those things at at least an average or above average level. And if those skills can become good long-term, like he's going to be somebody who is an important rotational player. So Terrence Mann. My favorite Terrence Mann's from the tournament. So he guarded John Morant in round two and Brandon Clark in round three. Like that's defensive versatility. Yeah. Two top 20 picks. Once, and he gave John Morant a ton of trouble on defense with his size. And we didn't even state that he's going straight to a team that was in the playoffs this past season and likely could be again the Los Angeles Clippers. So for Terrence Mann, he's somebody that maybe as a young player is one of those guys who can earn minutes. Yep. Let's wrap this up. But um, one of my favorites in the draft, Zylan Cheatham. And Cheatham was signed by the Pelicans, the team we led the show with. There you uh, go. So there uh, Dave, David Griffin, uh, to me, like he sort of ran the night. He drafted Alan Smiley-Geach in the second round, knowing that Golden State has been scouting that dude since he was like 16 or 17 years old. Had tried to his, hide him. Tried to hide him in the G League unsuccessfully, clearly. Um, drafted him. It was him. so obvious, though. Like they really <laughs> yeah. they didn't know the Dra- Drafted him, hiding. then traded him to Golden State. David Griffin is probably the winner of the night, winner of the offseason so far. Already making a name for himself with the New Orleans Pelicans with a just an unbelievably young, talented, appealing roster. The Pelicans. That's off. What a time to be yeah. a Pelicans fan, despite trading your star player. Way to book in that podcast. You're going to land that plane. Nice. Well guys, done. This was, it, it's been great talking draft with you guys all year. And like, it's really cool that we're able to do this in person right now. Yeah. It's only the second time this season, right? Yep. We did a yeah. couple weeks ago, post lottery, right? But I'm, I'm sure we'll talk more young players, prospects following Summer League when we see these guys and. See who stinks. See see who thrives. See who stinks. Uh, yeah, so yeah, that's exactly yeah. that's that's what the, we were there for. I'm looking forward to that, guys. Thanks, Danny. Thanks, John. Yeah, thanks, Thank you. Kevin. It's been a great year. Been really fun. And thank you, everybody, for listening to and the Ringer. And shout out Bobby show. Wagner, exactly. our loyal, faithful producer, and, and working sh- hard to the night. Shout out to Bobby Wagner, and we have people in the room next to us. Ronick and Keith, we get Ronick and Keith in there. Yeah, those guys are great. They do so much more behind the scenes you never see. It's it's amazing stuff they do. So much happens behind the scenes at the the Ringer, including our guy Bobby Wagner. Uh, Thank you again for listening to the Ringer VA show. Please give us a five-star rating on iTunes or a thumbs up on YouTube. Share it with your friends. I mean, you've seen KFC and Danny's suits. You have no choice. They're wearing some five-star blazers right now. Danny's suit is unbelievable. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Ringer VA show. Peace out. Peace.